the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello and welcome to this Farm Advisory Service Livestock Podcast. This podcast is designed to give producers up-to-date information on all things relating to livestock. It's been funded jointly through the Farm Advisory Service Animal Welfare Programme and also the Veterinary Advisory Service. So a big thanks to Scottish Government for their support. Today focuses on sheep. I'm Robert Ramsey and I'm joined by Kirsten Williams from SEC Consulting's Livestock Team and Ailey Corr, who is a Veterinary Investigation Officer with SRUC Vets. So good morning to you both. Kirsten, I, I see on the news uh, the weather obviously is not ideal in the northeast. How are things this morning? Yeah, so I am based usually at the Tariff office, but just now I'm from my home office in Huntley. It's pretty bleak, to be honest. Snow has been lying for well over a month. It's drifting today. It's not very pretty. Um, I really feel for stock outside, to be honest. Yeah. Tough times. And Ailey, is it the same in your neck of the woods as well? Yeah, yep. I'm also working from home at the moment down in Strathspey. And yeah, we've had heavy snowfall, very, very low temperatures. And, and now we've got the wind back again. So it's it's hard times, really is hard times for folk working out there and for poor stock trying to get by in the weather as it is. Yeah, tough times. Um, so with that in mind, Ailey, what... What are you seeing? So you're in the vet labs as, as well as working from home. What What's coming in to the vet labs at the moment? What are you seeing at, the, at, at this stage? So at this time of year, we've uh, we've got a few things going on. We've got the um, we've still got some abortion material being submitted. Um, obviously, if people are having problems in uh, in flocks with abortions, they they'll send material into us to try and get to the bottom of what's going on. Um, and we we do have some bovine abortions coming in as well. There's the tail end of the the pneumonia season. Really, we're we're still getting some dribs and drabs of of materials through the, through from uh, people investigating respiratory disease outbreaks. Uh, but I, I guess what what the worry would be is that the the problems really associated with with this weather might not really be revealed to us uh, in the vet labs quite yet, because the the issue quite often with these very hard winters can be. They, they move forward into the year with, with problems with nutrition and poor body condition as a result of, of the hard times they've endured through the winter. And, and then we can have fallout with that through difficulties in lambing time, difficulties with lamb vigour and things like that as well. And, and you know, good quality colostrum and, and milk yields. So the, the problems that, that may be resulting from the weather just now might not rear their head to us for a wee while yet. And Ailey, what about uh, parasites as well? So obviously, so I'm in the southwest, um, and traditionally a, a strong liver fluke area. Is are you seeing much much in the way of fluke coming in? And obviously, the weather we're getting probably is an ideal break in the cycle for fluke. Um, wh- where are we on the fluke front? So for for much of the country last year was fairly dry. Um, and I think that was probably borne out by us not seeing huge, huge numbers of um, 
acute fluke losses in sheep last year. Um, but, but we are still detecting fluke in samples that are submitted um, as usual. We do through through the winter. It's not unusual to detect fluke eggs in samples or um, some of the other testing methods that are used will, will still be detecting fluke burdens. There's always a bit of a worry uh, to me, particularly in sheep, because these sheep are in lamb. And the last thing we really need is to be going through the winter with the added burden of a, a parasite um, holding them back as well. So, but although it's not been as bad, it, it is always there. It's never, it's never not there. Um, I think probably the message at this time of year is really that if you, if you haven't treated yet, um, it's a good idea to talk to your vet and get some testing done to see whether you, you need to treat. And if you have treated, you know, have have a think about whether you should be doing a post dosing check just to make sure that treatment's been effective. So definitely worth having a, a chat with your vet and, and making sure you're you're up to scratch with that. And, and I suppose particularly when ewes are under a lot of pressure at the moment environmentally, you know, this is the time, assuming the snow shifts and, and we're uh, heading towards lambing time, um, getting them cleared out, making sure they're at 12 o'clock really has probably never been more important. That, yeah, they're under lots of pressure. So I think anything that we can do to try and relieve any burdens on them, we should be doing. Yep. yep. Um, so, Kirsten, obviously we are in um, mid to late February. Lambing is underway for, for some, but many will be certainly looking or we're really approaching lambing in the next month or so. What what are we seeing on on the ground? What what are what's you condition like, and and what are we what are we heading for in the spring? Yeah, it's quite an interesting one because we have had such challenging weather conditions, but in a way we've maybe been a little bit lucky because yows are generally quite fit, um, and they've gone into this poor weather spell quite fit, which which is good. And if you kind of break down your your pregnancy time as a yow into like three slots, like your first 50 days, your second 50 days, your your last 50 days. A lot of producers will be about the second 50 days at the minute. And really that's when your your onus, I guess, is on the development of the placenta. And um, obviously the, the, the better the, the placenta develops, then you've got better um, lamb development, better lamb birth weight, that type of thing. But at that kind of second 50 days period, you can actually afford to lose a little bit of condition if, if the yows are in good condition. Um, but so that that's maybe given us a, a, a bit of ease for producers that are kind of in, in that space that if the yows have been fitter, there's no doubt this weather has been hard on them and that it will strip some condition from them. So it's, it's probably quite lucky in that way. But I think we do need to remember as well that all research points towards when um, yows are on kind of a prolonged period of nutritional stress, then it can obviously have issues as well. So it's, I think we'll have two stories of flocks. We'll have the flocks that were really fit and are now now going forward and, and managing to, to mobilise their energy and, and get through this weather. But there will be flocks that have been tight to grass and will be have leaner yows that are probably going to be struggling quite a bit with with this weather and I think then going forward to the next 50 days like your your third trimester as such that is when the yows nutritional 
needs are at their absolute highest. So say like a 70 kilo yow carrying twins, seven weeks pre-lambing, her energy requirements 11 megajoules. By the time she gets to one week pre-lambing, she's 18 megajoules. So effectively in that seven week period, her nutritional or her energy requirement is increased by just over 60%. So we're looking for the fetus is growing, her udder is growing, and we're trying to stop her having metabolic problems. We want her to produce good quality and quantity of colostrum. We want her to have a lamb of high vigour with high survivability. And you think trying to maintain these yows, depending where they are in that bit of the cycle with this poor weather, it all comes down to nutrition and making sure that that they are getting the energy and protein that they require at this time. Yeah, so assuming, again, in many places, moving sheep and handling sheep isn't an option at the moment, but at the nearest possible or the, the soonest possible opportunity, we really should be getting our hand in use and finding out where we're at condition wise, where we're, um, you know, are we have we lost a lot of condition? The thing I, I think is, is an interesting one is, is metabolic profiling, and certainly in and dairy and beef, there's been an awful lot of it done, and, and increasingly it's done in sheep. But I just wonder for, to both of you is where that fits in a, you know, particularly after a significant nutritional stress so uh, like we've got at the moment where there's there's no grass and, and certainly limited feed available is it worth taking metabolic metabolic profiles at this stage or how long do we wait until they're onto a decent diet before we check where we're at the, the thing to think about with metabolic profiling is is it, it is all in the timing and if we need to time it so the results are useful to us and so we, we need to time it really relative to when lambing is going to occur rather than necessarily relative to when when they've had difficulties. Because if, if, we, if we go in and do the profiling too soon before those energy demands have really ramped up, it may suggest that there's no problem, but actually as time wears on, a problem develops and we've just tested too soon to pick it up. If we leave it too late and, and we, we test them too close to lambing, we don't really have time to act on the results. We don't have time to rectify any problems that we detect. But there is a window of time. So, I mean, if, if you're to go in there sort of two to four weeks before lambing, um, you could potentially go a, a wee shade earlier than that if you, if you think they really are in poor condition and you are worried about them. But I think that's probably optimal. Uh, would you agree, Kirsten, just to give you yeah. time to act? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think as well, like your your two to four weeks, that that is when you do still have time to to act on it, and that is when their energy requirement is growing so much. And it's it's a fantastic tool actually. It's 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 quite simple to do. You get the vet, um, you tend to get them to blood sample at least five groups from each of the management different management groups or five yows from each of the management groups so say it's triplets twins um, singles and it just gives you a really nice maybe peace of mind or or lets you act on that your ration is actually doing what you want it to do um, you're kind of blind I guess you know you can analyze your silage you don't unless you're actually checking what their intakes are you don't you don't know they're getting that energy that you think they're going to so it's a fantastic way and then if it is low in either energy or protein it lets you step in it lets you put in say um, molasses or lets you do something before it's too late and you end up having to deal with the heap of twin lamb 
And I think just just to add to that, Kirsten, you know, if, if I worry sometimes that people think, well, I haven't scanned, so I, I don't know who's got triplets and who's got twins and and who I need to pick out. But but you can still use this um, very effectively. It's just a case of selecting sheep that are second lammers or older. Um, so it is, it is still useful even if they're not scanned. I would I would recommend it. And it's it's also, I think, a great way, it's a great time, those routine jobs when you get the vet out to do something like that, it's a great chance to have a an open discussion. You know, it's not an emergency procedure or anything. You can have a good discussion about what else is happening on farm or other issues and, and probably start working up, you know, those health planning type discussions and things as well. So, um, yeah, a, a good useful tool. We'll come back to health planning in a wee minute, but... Um, Scanning so far, Kirsten, what are you hearing on the ground? There's a lot of big scans down here. Is it the same across the board? Yes, yes, there does seem to be a lot of big scans. And I guess we had such a good summer. We had um, a lot of grass growth. The owls were fitter. I guess it's it's slightly inevitable. Um, but again, it, it comes back to like these, these owls, their energy requirement is going to be high. They're, they're, they're going to need um, really looked after and a lot of people if you've usually got quite a small group of triplets and it's difficult to manage them separately this year if you've got a big group of triplets then really really look after them um, and if it's a bigger group then maybe it is easier to, to batch them up and find somewhere to put them. Um, I think triplets are difficult to manage like their, their intake isn't actually that significantly greater than a twin bearing yow, um, but her energy requirement is about ten percent higher in the last six weeks. So it's making sure that that what she is getting that it's real kind of nutrient dense um, feed stuff that she's getting. Um, her uterus size is getting bigger. Her rumen um, is getting pushed to the side, so she just can't get massive amounts of bulky feed in. So it's making sure that that it really is this nutrient dense um, rations and if the weather stays like this they're possibly a perfect um, batch maybe just to take inside just to, to to get them away from the weather the energy they're using just now to even just traipse from the ring feeder to the trough it must be immense in the the volume of snow that we've got so um, really are a, a group of yows to look after this year especially with what we're looking like with the lamb price at the minute they Every lamb is is worth looking after for sure. And what about multiples as well? So we've got triplets, but obviously there's now probably increasingly this year with, with the the guys on really big scans. There's fours and fives out there. How do we do we manage them separately, differently to triplets, or is it okay just to run them in the same lot? Yeah, they they are a very tricky, very very tricky um yow to manage. Obviously, when we're increasing our energy requirement for our triplets to plus 10 percent it's it's even more drastic for your um, fours and fives and they are such a different difficult difficult sheep to manage there is some people that just don't want the hassle of them and it's scanning they'll maybe sell them or take 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 what they can from them then um, they just need so much put into them and if if they're struggling or they're challenged already it really is going to be an upward struggle um, their size of 
abdomen gets smaller, obviously, and smaller. So the, the more energy that you can get into them, the better. Um, but as well as surviving the weather, as well as um, keeping the energy, growing the lambs, they've also got to produce colostrum. And the, it's making sure you've got a bank of colostrum there for um, for successful lambings, that you've got everything set up that, that these lambs can get absolute care and attention. Um, she is going to be struggling. She is probably, when she lambs, she's not going to have a massive amount of resources there. She, she'll be very lean. She won't have much um, milk whatsoever. I'd imagine she would manage to rear one, maybe two of the lambs. So it's making sure that, that there is a bank of colostrum. I don't know if colostrum is some, something you want to come on to later, but it's obviously massively, massively important for lamb survival. Yeah. Um, I, I Also, I think the, the thing's probably about, so we are where we are and we've got them and there's you know, big scans, but if we've got consi- consistently getting really high scans and, and I know certain people down here who are getting really big scans, it's probably a time to look at the system for how do we try and reduce that scan for for down the line and, and I appreciate across the board it's generally about that this year is a an exceptional an exceptional year but there are individuals there that are scanning way over 200% every year and it, it would be in they'd probably land up with more lambs at foot if they could reduce that scan a, a wee bit in the future anyway. Yeah, um, and it, it comes down to to your management, your condition score, the um, grass in front of them at tupping, but genetics is a huge player in there as well. So it's it's looking at the flock um, as a whole rather than just one aspect of it. It's funny, as a beef consultant, I'm always banging on about trying to get more calves and more animals on the ground. And in this case, we're trying to get a few less. But <laughs> um, there you go. We're trying to get as much money out of them as we can, aren't we? Um, so we mentioned colostrum, Kirsten, and we were just coming on to that. Um, obviously, colostrum management, hugely important. Um, Ailey, have you anything you want to bring up there on, on colostrum? What, how do we make, How do we get those used really firing to make sure that we've got highest quality, plenty of colostrum uh, going for these lambs hitting the ground? I mean, I, th- I think we've, we've, we've covered some of the, 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 the big factors really in, in nutrition. I think that's, that's probably one of the, one of the biggest factors there is get, get that right and they'll, they'll do the job for you. Um, I, I, other thing obviously is just don't, don't forget your, your vaccinations because the other thing that colostrum gives as well as energy to that lamb when it's born um, it, it gives it protection from infection in the environment, and if you can get those those yows vaccinated, then they are they are able to to pass the immunity from those vaccines through the colostrum into the lamb. So I think make, make sure that's not forgotten. Um, it's very very much worth doing because otherwise the lambs are are completely exposed to what's in their environment, um, and that that maximises the quality of that colostrum because you've got that that additional immunity in there. So I think just just making sure you've got all that covered now. Um, I think when we talk about colostrum, a lot of the time people think of it immediately think of the post lambing period. But actually, if we can get all these things right now, um, colostrum will will sort of take care of itself. You, you've got more vigorous lambs. You've got a better quality and quantity of colostrum. So if we can get all those ducks in a row now, um, there's hopefully less zooming around trying to top up lambs and 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 faffing around at lambing time because they should be up and doing it for themselves. We hope. Yeah. And and when we do so, 
the vast majority of these ewes are going to lamb themselves. The lambs will get up and suckle and everything's fine. No no major intervention required. But for those lambs that do need a top up, what should we be what should we have in store? So should we you know, frozen versus powders and, and how do we, we manage that um or plan for that, that event when it comes? Um, so obviously everybody should have some powdered colostrum available. Um, it's it's very quick and handy, uh, great in an emergency, but it, it is absolutely not uh, an equivalent to colostrum from from mum or from another mum. Uh, it, it's it's far less um, rich in nutrients in terms of energy, and it's far less rich in immunity. So the, the the lambs will not get nearly the same degree of protection they would if they were to get fresh colostrum or fresh frozen colostrum. So it's, it's definitely worth um, considering if, if you haven't got a bank of frozen colostrum at home, it's, it's very, very much worth um, trying to trying to get some fresh colostrum collected when lambing starts. So if you've got yows with single lambs and, and plenty colostrum, make sure you're observing very, very good hygiene when you do this, but strip some colostrum off and, and you can store it in a a very clean little pot or, or the other thing that's really good are these uh, breast milk bags that you get um, and they're wee Ziploc bags and they, they freeze flat which is, is excellent because you can just slip them into a back pocket to defrost them gently and slowly. Uh, the defrosting is very, very important that that's done, done carefully and you don't do that in hot water because that, that will actually damage the immunoglobulins which are the, the part of the colostrum that give the lamb that protection from disease. So freezing it in wee bags is handy defrost it in a pocket and it's it's ready to go nice and quickly um and and that's an ideal way to have a stock of colostrum so you're not having to use the expensive and, and sort of poor poor by comparison powdered colostrum only point to really note there is that it's worth being a little bit careful because there is a risk of transmission of some diseases via colostrum so things like mydivisna or yonis could be transmitted that way so it, it is important if, if you might have issues with with disease on the farm that you discuss colostrum strategies with your vet probably in advance so you're all prepared for how you're going to you're going to handle it yeah so i have two more questions here really on that one is what about a colostrum between species so can i use a cow colostrum for sheep and yep. Yep, mm-hmm. sorry, yeah no no you, you can you can use cow's colostrum um and and lots of people will have experience of that a uh, couple of things, though, um, that there can be a, uh, an issue uh, with, it's almost, it's a bit like a transfusion reaction. Um, you know, if, if a blood transfusion went wrong, you, you can have a problem with cow's colostrum um, uh, causing causing disease and death, well, illness and death, basically, in some lambs. So to, to avoid that, ideally, cow's colostrum should be pooled and it should be from the same farm um, just to avoid introducing any disease. So, again, probably something to, to run past your vet but it, it can be done uh, but but it's a, a compromise in in terms of quality energy and and there are some risks that come with it as well and there's something about um anti-sheep antibody as well isn't that, there? that's exactly it that that's yeah. what i mean so so some some cows colostrum will be will be harmful to lambs and so if we pull the colostrum that sort of dilutes that effect yeah. um so it's not to say that it's not potentially a useful tool in some cases but as i say it, it is a compromise and it, it wouldn't be a first choice uh, I, I would probably encourage people to try and take colostrum from from other dams within the flock before they yeah. relied on cows colostrum the other thing to bear in mind 
mind is if, if you take from dams within the flock, then the lambs are getting some protection against clostridial disease, which unless the cattle are vaccinated against clostridial disease themselves, um, that there won't be any benefit to the lambs in terms of that immunity. So. Yep. Excellent. And the next one is how long can, it, so if we store, if we get a good bank of colostrum in the freezer this year, is that okay to use next year or does it deteriorate over time? It, it will deteriorate over time. Um, so I, ideally, you'd probably try and, and use it within the year. Um, but I, 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 I certainly wouldn't bin it. Um, I, I think I think it's fine fine to use to have there as a reserve. But if, if you didn't use it, if you stored it this year and you didn't use it next year, I'd, I'd probably look at look at getting rid of it then. It's, it's worth bearing in mind, though, that it lasts a, a, a good period of time, up to a week in the fridge. Um, so as long as you don't store it in the fridge door so it doesn't sort of experience that rise in temperature when the door is open, you can store colostrum quite successfully in the fridge for up, up to a week. And uh, and it's perfectly perfectly okay to do that if you're clean about how you collect it. Um, so that that's often enough if you collect it as regular as you can it's often enough to have a wee stash in the fridge that's that's fresh and ready to to warm up and go and as you say just to reiterate the importance of keeping it clean and keeping it cool because otherwise if it's if it's sitting warm on the counter dirty somewhere it's salmonella and everything else can really yep keep it clean and get going yep keep it clean keep it cool and warm it up very gently okay so it's really important you don't ever microwave it or don't ever try and try and heat it harshly because if you if you're not gentle with it and you don't heat it gradually uh that can uh, that can damage the uh, the active immunity within that colostrum so that the, the lambs don't get the same degree of protection. Yeah, I think there's some really good points in there and particularly the one about having powdered colostrum available. It's a really good tool if needed, but it's well worth going to a lot of a, going to the hassle of stripping out use and, and using dam's own colostrums. Certainly really powerful stuff. Um, Kirsten, what about, in, in obviously in, in the run-up to lambing, I'm aware anyway of the, the current restrictions, COVID, it's really changed the game with regards to you know forward planning. We don't necessarily know what the next weeks and months are going to bring. Hopefully it's positive, hopefully it's heading the right direction. But I'm conscious that if we land up in another full lockdown situation, we might struggle to get um, some of the lamb- lambing supplies that we need. Um, what, do you want to say something about basically what you know what we should be getting what we should be looking at what's really important the, the key points that we should be or the key items we should be gathering up at this stage pre-lambing yeah i would i would really hope that that wouldn't become an issue but yeah we we really do need to to plan um colostrum is obvious number one um anything that is is required around that and that um your tubes your bottles Something we're we're seeing, and I think with with the stress of the weather, as we're going to see more and more as lambing approaches, is twin lamb, so twin lamb drench, glucose solution, calcium, um, heat lamps. If this weather continues, it is it's a cold old berth um, in a, in a shed or outside. There's there's oodles and oodles of stuff you could have on a list. Um, there's prolapse harnesses, prolapse spoons. You could go on for for ever and ever more, to be honest. But I guess the the main things to have pre-lambing definitely is your twin lamb drench, your glucose solution, and your your calcium, and plenty of syringes and clean needles there as well. 
if there is yows getting housed because of the weather, feed getting introduced earlier than normal, it's trying to minimise stress wherever you can. So it's kind of whenever you do something, do it with care or do it, do one thing, let them settle and get used to it and then do something else. Um, Starting off feed, start off small, like start off at... um, 250 grams and then increase by like 50 to 100 grams a day Um, split the feeding so if it's over 500 grams split it into two make sure there's plenty of space so if they're being housed that there's um, a metered square per yow make sure there's plenty of trough space so everybody can get into the trough so you're looking at like it, it sounds quite a lot but it's 45 centimeters per yow and then that just makes sure everybody's got space. There's, um, the shy feeders can get in there as well. Um, look at your feed stuff. That that it actually is good energy feed. It quite often doesn't say on the label what the feed is, um, what the energy is of the feed. So look for high energy stuff like sugar, beet pulp, oats, whole barley, um, and make sure there's no low energy feeds high up in your ingredients list like your oat feed, um, your sunflower meal, that that type of things. Um, make sure that their intakes are what you think they are as well. So you'll you'll know how much feed you're putting in the trough every day. But if you're putting silage into a ring feeder or um, a silage cart, do you actually know how much they're eating. So maybe weigh a bale, divide it up by the yows, how many days it's taken them to eat and just make sure because you can analyse the feed, but if they're not eating it, then they're obviously not getting um, the right amount of energy. So it's it's just do everything slowly, but, but surely. When they come in for their vaccinations, when they're getting their um, heptavac or their, their pre-lamming um, vaccinations or scanning, try and do just one thing at a time so it's not adding that extra stress onto them just to try and minimise the twin lamb. Yeah excellent Um, and I think the point there is you know that the cheapest feed available might actually be the most expensive in the long run that getting quality feed down their throats is going to be a big priority. The one question I suppose it would be so looking at ring feeders certainly with snow and things there's an awful lot more ewes being fed forage at the moment I think I'm right in saying there's 25 spaces around a ring feeder, head spaces. Um, how many how many sheep can we justifiably feed with a ring feeder? Yeah, they're not actually the best designed things for sheep. Um, you're between 24 and 26, usually depending on the brand that you buy. And um, times like this, every sheep is around that ring feeder. So usually you could argue not every yow is going to be eating at the same time. Half of them are over the field, half of them are at the ring feeder. But currently, every yow is at that ring feeder. And you really don't want to be in the scenario where they're jumping on top of each other, especially when they're heavy and lamb, knocking about each other. So you really just monitor them, look at them, keep an eye on them. You'll soon see if they need more space. And giving them that space is going to aid the amount of energy they get into them. It's also going to aid um, the survivability of that lamb. Yep. And I'm just doing my maths here. It can't be 25 because it's in two halves. But yeah, an, an interesting point. And, and they're, they're cheap. You know, they're, if, if it's ring feeders you're using, probably going out and buying a few more 
he certainly can do absolutely no harm at all. I think the um, issue now is probably trying to source them because everybody's trying to get probably, them at the minute. Probably. <laughs> um, Ailey, I've heard quite a bit about snow blindness recently. Um, there seems to be a lot of it on the go. Can you say what is it and how do we prevent it? So it's it's essentially um, something we see a fair bit um, at this time of year when they're they're kind of um, particularly clustered around feeders that can that can increase the likelihood of them, them spreading and it, it, it's often worse after uh, really sort of nasty weather like we've had the sort of hard wind the snow um, and you'll see these sheep with this sort of pink eye they're often very watery eyes sometimes their eyes are cloudy and sore and it, it's actually more of a problem than people perceive because not only are they, they painful and miserable but they can't see well enough they you know and the, that that can really impair them being able to to feed as well so if you are seeing problems with that again it's one to chat with your vet um, some of these cases will need treatment with an antibiotic which is, is usually very effective for most cases but you, you should take some advice on from your vet on on what kind of antibiotic to use and, and what their guidance is specific to your flock um, but yeah it wouldn't surprise me if that's more of an issue than, than usual just because of them all clustering around feeders and even just huddling to get out of the weather that that'll be a, a, a higher risk of it spreading for sure and i guess that goes back with making sure there's plenty of feed space plenty of trough space trend plenty of um bring feeder space as well and providing shelter as well come, comes in there as well just to get them away from that driving winds that's that's hurting them so much yep, yeah completely just, agree yeah do everything you can to take the pressure off these as best you can. So, Ailey, we're looking at lambing time, obviously a, a time of probably the most intervention and the most veterinary veterinary involvement uh, in the sheep system. This would probably be a good time to start looking at health planning and looking at, at what your lambing routine is. Um, yep. Are there are there areas that we need to really address as, as sheep farmers? Is there particular areas that we need to have a... a make a conscious effort to reduce, do a bit less of or do a bit more of? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think just just going back to, to Kirsten's points about preparation for lambing as well, we, we tend to think about getting a shopping list and getting stocked up. But a lot of preparation can be done, you know, even in advance of that and just having a real think about how you approach things, how you're going to handle problems if they rear their head. And, and if you do have a history of having particular problems on the on the farm, you know, have, have you got a plan in place for how you can control that problem or reduce it going forward? Um, and, and that's probably where your health planning really does come into its own. Uh, it's having a, a meeting with your vet when the, you know, you're you're not in the midst of some sort of disaster. You're not trying to fix some sort of problem. You're, you're sitting down with cool heads and having a think through the sort of issues you might be faced with. And and things you can do to improve them. And I think um, it, it is a really good opportunity. You know, you're just saying about things we can do more of, things we can do less of. Um, particularly at this time of year, we, we tend to have in our minds the sort of uh, veterinary treatments that, that might end up being used more widely than we would like. And, and that's often coming down to antibiotics. Probably one of the most common um, common uses of antibiotics in, in lambs would be uh, watery mouth treatments. And it's it's not uncommon to see flocks where where they've they've had big big problems with watery mouth and they they turn to the sort of pump action oral antibiotics that that lambs can be given very early in life. 
Um, and we really, you know, uh, there are a lot, lots of problems with using antibiotics like this, par- partly because it, it increases the risk of resistance when they're used very widely. Um, and, and that's actually already been borne out by what we know about the, the bugs responsible for watery mouth. I think about a third of the, the bugs that um, cause watery mouth are actually now resistant to one of the most common antibiotics used in those pumps. Uh, so for, for a third of people who are using them, it's a pointless exercise because the, the it's not doing anything to stop their watery mouth. And for the other two thirds, it's, it's just a matter of time before that, that problem comes for them as well. So I definitely encourage uh, flocks and, and keepers at this time uh, to, to have a good think about how they could how they could take some steps to reduce the need for antibiotics in these cases. And it's far, far, far better to be thinking about really uh, vigorous lambs, good quality colostrum and hygiene. Really, that that's what it comes down to is, is doing our level best to observe good hygiene, keeping lambing uh, facilities dry, clean, fresh bedding wherever possible, just to minimise contamination and just to reduce the burden of bugs that these wee lambs are being faced with in the first few hours of life. And that alone will have a big, big impact in the the numbers of lambs that are affected by watery mouth and, and other diseases in the first few days and weeks of life. Yep. Excellent point. I find it quite interesting, you know, I think the, the days of prophylactic antibiotics have to be, certainly I think the, the end is in sight for that. If you look at what's happening in hospitals or in, in human medicine, um, babies with ear infections don't get antibiotics unless their eardrum bursts and things, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. we're in a probably a privileged position that we can use these products, but we really need to use them wisely and and try and limit what we're doing with them. That, that's exactly it. I think if we want to continue to have the privilege of access to these products, then we need to demonstrate that we can we can use them responsibly. And um, and again, just comes back to health planning. That's the time to sit down and work out what you're going to use if the problems arise. Yep. Excellent. At this stage, I would just like to thank you both very much uh, for joining me today and being involved in this podcast. And hopefully our listeners enjoy it as much as I've enjoyed it. Um, And hopefully it's been really good hints and tips as we head towards lambing time. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.